0: Welcome to Waymaker Church Podcast. The heart of the house is that these messages would help you to encounter, live for, and advance the kingdom of God. Enjoy this week's message. You know, I was—I uh, asked the Lord as I was preparing for this message, and um, it was interesting because I, I just—I began to pray. I said, "God, what—what uh, what do you desire?" Um, you know, so often on Easter Sunday. You know, we would expect to hear just simply, just the, obviously, the message of the gospel, the message of the cross, which is powerful. And I'm going to briefly talk about that. But something that the Lord put on my heart and really dropped into my spirit that I'm going to talk to you about today is, is the message of the prodigal son. Uh, and it's not going to simply be what you would expect, but it's, it's going to show and reveal the heart of the Father uh, this morning. And, um, and so I just simply ask uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you today, look under the chairs in front of you. There should be a Bible there. I want you to snag one of those and get it out. I believe it's important for you to have the Word of God before your eyes. But uh, there's something about it just I was preparing this week, and there was just something. There's something about Easter Sunday, right? There's something about just the day itself, and and every year when it's on the calendar, you can feel it in the service, you can sense it in the atmosphere. That that it's just it's a day of hope. Easter Sunday is is often it's a day of restoration. And it's a day when many take the first step to forgiveness and healing. And uh, I can't help but think that it seems like every Easter Sunday, there's just like a tangible expectation of God doing something. There's a tangible expectation for God to change lives. There's a tangible expectation for God to heal bodies. There's, there's an expectation for God to move and to work in people in such a way that they'll never be the same again. And so this morning, I, I was just thinking about this, that this year is no different And so I want to make this declaration to you today that if if you're here today, it's not by accident. Amen? Amen. If you are sitting in this room today, if you're watching on those cameras right now, you are not here by accident. God has an encounter for you today. You hear me this morning? God has an encounter for you today. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so I believe it's important to, to understand this because, listen, God is drawing you to himself. Uh, listen, I don't know what life looks like for many of you. I don't know what your normal daily habits look like. I, I don't know a lot of, anything about a lot of your lives. But what I know is that God consistently is drawing us to himself. Amen? God is continuing to reach out in mercy and in grace to extend his hand to just simply say, come to me. Amen? And so this morning he's doing the same. He's reaching out with an invitation, inviting us into relationship. Maybe it's for the very first time. For others, maybe he's inviting us into restored relationship. Maybe we've walked with the Lord in one season and we've turned away in another. And we've just simply, like so many others, have just kind of turned to the left, turned to the right, and just have kind of gone after our own way to do our own thing. Maybe you're here this morning and there's a sense of disillusionment. Maybe you stepped in today and you're hoping that maybe today is the day when my life finally changes. I believe that today is that day. And I believe God wants to move and work in you. Amen? And so listen, many of you have heard the story of the cross a thousand times, but for some, it may be the first time or the first time in a long time. And so I want to recap for a moment just the story and the message of the gospel and the cross. And my prayer today is that we just simply hear his voice and respond to his call. John chapter 15, verse 13 says, greater love has no one than this, but then to lay down his life, to lay down one's life for his friends. And here's the thing, Jesus came into the world to lay down his life. He said in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, "...just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many." Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, if you've been here in the last several weeks, we've been preaching a series called Types and Shadows, and we've been looking at how the Old Testament, what Jesus has done has been fulfilled. He's fulfilled the Old Testament law, the Old Testament rules and covenant, the sacrificial system that Jesus himself by his life has fulfilled all of these things. And so when John declares that he is the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world, he was spotless and blameless, and he chose to carry our sin just as they would in the Old Testament, that you and I might be forgiven and have life. Amen? Amen. Amen. So good. And so he was the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's John one twenty nine. He was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane by Judas Iscariot with a kiss. Judas was one of his disciples. And as it was coming to the time of the end that he was to die, that Jesus was to give his life, one of his disciples, Judas, would go, and for 30 pieces of silver, he would betray him to the priest. Now, here's the thing. This is what's interesting about that scenario. Did you know that time and time again, Jesus was able to escape the the priest, right? He was able to escape death because it wasn't his time. Did you also know that Judas was a thief? And he was a thief who held the money box. And so what Judas saw in his mind was an opportunity to get 30 pieces of silver, knowing that every other time Christ had got away from them. But this time, that 30 pieces of silver became the price for innocent blood. Right, So he comes into the garden. He betrays the Son, of Man, uh, the Son of God with a kiss. And in this moment, the Lord had told him and prophesied. He said that the disciples would flee from him. They would strike the shepherd. It would scatter the sheep. And that's exactly what happened. Right, So they're in the garden. They come to arrest Jesus. And as they take hold of him, everyone else is in fear. And they all flee and run for their lives. And what's amazing is this, is after they arrest him, they begin to beat him and mock him. What's interesting is, is have you ever thought about this for a second, that you have the creator of the universe, and his creation is leading him bound, striking him on the face, mocking him to his face, telling us, hey, prophesy to us if you're so great, tell us which one hit you. Have you ever thought about that? It's kind of a crazy thing that that the, the ability of our hearts because of sin actually has the ability to look the creator in the face and to say, who do you think you are? What do you think that you're doing? And they would sit there and they beat him and they mocked him as they, as they led him away to be questioned. And what's interesting about this is after the disciples flee, they arrest him, they beat, they mock, they pluck the beard from his face, right? They're falsely accusing him before Pontius Pilate And eventually they led them away to be scourged. Now, if you understand the scourging, right, the the Romans used this thing called a cat of nine tails, and it had iron and sharp bone that was in it. And whenever it would hit, that iron would dig into their skin. And when they pulled back, it would rip the flesh off of the person that they were whipping. And many times it was so gruesome. If you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ, it's probably the closest in in a movie setting of, of what it was like, of what Jesus suffered. But the crazy thing is, is it actually says in Isaiah 52, 14, that his visual image was so marred, it was marred beyond that of a man, that he was almost unrecognizable. So even in that movie and what we see in it was still not the depth of which he suffered. And what's interesting about that is, is the reason he suffered, he said, was that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Do you know who that joy is? It's huge. And so he allowed the flesh to be ripped from his body, and they, and they beat him with the cat of nine tails. They scourged him. And here's what's crazy. It's not only did they scourge him, but then they took a purple robe and they put it on them. Can you imagine your flesh is torn, and now they clothe you with something. And they took a crown of thorns, and they laid it upon his head. And with a the reed, they drove it into his head. And they mocked him, and they bowed down. And they worshiped, oh, hell, king of the Jews, king of hell, hell, king of the Jews. And then eventually it was time to be led away, and of course they took all the things off. And they led him away to be crucified. Now the thing is about Jesus and being crucified is he carried his cross to the hill known as Golgotha, which is, which is interpreted the place of the skull. And what's crazy I've actually been there. I've been to Israel and I've seen this particular hill, and to this day it still looks like a skull. Uh, and it's, 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 a, it's a really interesting thing. And there at Golgotha, they laid him on the cross and he was nailed to the cross for your sin and for mine. And he paid the penalty for sin. And here's what's interesting is even while he hung on the cross, they gamble for his clothes. They cast lots for it. And as they're casting lots for it, they continue to mock him, right? The scribes and the Pharisees would come up and they would look at him and they would say, if you're the son of God, come down from there. And he said that everybody who walked by, right? There's a thief on either side on a cross as well. And every person who walked by would look at him and laugh and shake their heads and mock him. God himself hanging on a cross for his creation. And so it's interesting about this. After they mocked and they ridiculed him, ultimately we all know that this led to his death. But this is what the Lord spoke to me. He said, Joel, what seemed like Satan's greatest hour revealed the greater love of God. Have you thought about that for a moment? That what looked like defeat, what looked like hopelessness, was the greater love of God being revealed. That in Christ's suffering, in in him having the beard ripped from his face and his flesh torn from his body, in all of that, the love of God is being revealed. Amen? And I love that because what Satan thought was his triumphant hour was actually the moment of his defeat. (laughs) <laughs> Come on, somebody. It's so good. What I love about this is Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 21 says, it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense, uh, offense might abound. But listen, this, it says, But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so here's the thing this morning is you and I have Hope. That, listen, yes, there was sin that led to death, but today you and I can have hope in Jesus Christ of a life and that more abundantly. You and I can be set free from the wages of sin and we can live unto God with our life, not just praying a prayer to get to heaven, but praying a prayer so that heaven might come into us. Amen? Because the kingdom life, I want to explain something to you real quick. The kingdom life ultimately is about the King. The American gospel has told us that the essence of the gospel is only about us. But the reality is that the essence of the gospel is actually about him, his mercy, his grace, and bringing salvation to a sinful creation. Amen? Amen. Knowing that in the beginning, when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when they weren't supposed to, that death would come and separation would come. God, in in his amazing grace, wrote the story so that you and I could eventually find life in Christ. And what was given in the types and shadows of the Old Testament was the mystery of all the ages was revealed fully in the person of Christ to understand that he was the Messiah, the one who would make us clean and make us whole, that we could now come boldly into the presence of God to find help in a time of need. Amen? But we have to understand that at the end of the day, the message of salvation, the message of the cross is about us surrendering to him. It's not about praying a prayer so that God becomes my servant and surrenders to me. Amen? Because that's not the gospel. The gospel is about us learning how to pick up our cross, die to ourselves, and follow him. Amen? That's the message of the gospel. And what I know is that if we'll surrender our life to him, if we'll receive him as Lord and Savior, he will indeed make all things new. And by the power of his word, he will transform us from the inside out. (laughs) Because where the mind goes, the man follows. And if I can be born again by the Spirit of God on the inside and He can come and change me and make me new, then now I can walk in newness of life. And the patterns and the things that I've struggled with for the majority of my life, I no longer have to live under those things because the power of the grace of God leads me to holiness. The power of the grace of God leads me to righteousness. The power of the grace of God and the blood of Jesus leads us into a transformed life. Amen? Amen. And so this morning, if grabbed the a Bible there, turn to the book of Luke chapter 15. I want to read to you the story of the prodigal son, and I uh, have an illustration this morning that we'll do here in just a moment uh, that I want to, to be able to explain this. But Luke chapter 15, we're going to be starting in the 11th verse. If you don't know where it's at, don't be shy. Ask your neighbor. Uh, they will help you. If they don't know, then be like, oh, man. You better just listen And the reason I want you to understand something the reason I have you turn in the written word is because the word of god will change Your life if you get it before your eyes It's one thing to hear about it. It's another thing to see it to read it to understand it and believe it Amen, and so we have to learn how to take possession of the word of god So luke chapter 15 we're going to be starting in the 11th verse And it simply says this it says then he said a certain man had two sons And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? He says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father, but when he was still A great ways off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, "Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son." But the father said to his servants, "Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring to me the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this son, uh, for this my son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost." And it's found. It says, and they begin to be married. Now, here's the thing. The story is known as the story of the prodigal son. But I want you to understand something about this story. The son is literally saying to his father, you stop when you think about this. He is saying, divide to me my portion of the inheritance. Do you know what he's telling his father? You are dead to me. <clears throat> now, if you're a parent in the room, imagine in that moment how you would feel. Maybe like the spirit of slap come on you like just a little bit. You remember the scripture when it says to lay hands suddenly, you know, you just like, (laughs) you know, pray for their healing afterwards. Right. Just joking. I'm not advocating to go home and get in fights. All right. (laughs) But the thing is, though, is, is the younger son literally tells his father, you are dead to me. Give me my inheritance. And here's what's crazy about the heart of the father, the heart of the father. Literally, he divides his portion and the son, right, like he leaves to go do what he wants, right? He sits there for a few days. He's probably looking at all the stuff he has. He's proud of himself. I got my stuff. This is my inheritance. Now I'm out. And he, and he leaves, right? And he goes off to a far country. And he's, I mean, he's with prostitutes. He's partying wild. I mean, he is living it up. But how many of y'all know that the word says that he who loves pleasure will be poor? <laughs> and so first he's out there and he's doing his thing and he's living it up. But eventually he comes to the end of the resources that weren't his. They were his father's. And so he's out there and it's a sin, a sinful living, right? The pleasure and the freedom that he had found eventually would let him down. And naturally, how many of y'all know it just seems just like God that when you're doing your own thing, inevitably it seems like there's a famine that's coming. <laughs> Lean times are coming, a desert season is coming. And it happens every single time. And so a famine arises in the land. Now, you have to understand something, too. He finds himself feeding pigs. Now, if you know anything about culture back in the day, and especially with Jewish custom, like pigs were an abomination to them, right? They, they wanted nothing to do with them. They weren't going to touch them. They weren't going to eat them because they were considered unclean. So now you have a son who has wasted all of his father's possessions and his portion of the inheritance, and now he is, he's, he's living it up, he's, he's with the lady, he's out there partying, doing his thing, and now he finds himself in the midst of something that's unclean. And not only that, it says that he desired, he longed to eat the food that the pigs were eating because he was so hungry. That's pretty gross. But what's interesting to me about this is that as you read this story, you realize that his desperation led to revelation. And there's something in that that I want to share with you for a moment because sometimes it's God allowing us to get to our moment of desperation that's actually going to be the very thing that leads us into revelation of who he is. Because as long as I talked about a second ago, that the kingdom of God is about a king. And and the thing is, is is that king has a throne. And the the, the throne is intended to be on your heart. So depending on who's sitting there, if you're sitting enthroned in your heart, there's going to come a point where you're going to have to come to the end of yourself. If you're the one that's ruling and reigning, wanting what you want to do things your own way, you're going to find yourself eventually in a place of fame and spiritually. Amen? Because listen, if we're outside of him, we're always going to shrivel up. We're like a branch that's been removed from the vine. But the reality of the kingdom of God is that there is a king who is intended to sit on the throne, and his name is Jesus. And so, in order for us to live well in the kingdom of God, we have to learn how to surrender the throne. And listen, it's not me and Jesus side cheeking it. Hey, Jesus, it's me and you, boo, we're going to ride to the end. No. It's not us in the backseat going, hey, Jesus, man, I take a ride right, right here. No, listen, get some tape out, put it over your mouth, and go lock yourself in a trunk and let them drive. Because it's about him. It's about his person, his power, his culture, and his, his reign. Amen? But it's the moments of desperation that ultimately lead us to revelation that we are poor gods to ourselves. But he's good. And so what's interesting is he comes to his senses and he makes the decision to return to his father. And so this, the, the question, here's the thing, the question arose from a place of shame. right? He was ashamed of what he had done. He was ashamed of where he had been. And also he just comes to his senses. And he's thinking, dude, the servants at my dad's house have it better than this. They're not eating pig slop. Like he actually cares about them. And so they, he wises up in the story and he says, you know what, I'm going to go home. But here's the thing is the question arises, how can I return after what I've done? Has anyone ever felt that way before? Dude, I know I'll, I'll be the first to raise my hand because I know that I have. When you do something boneheaded, you do something and you go against what God has said. And in your heart, you're just thinking, you're condemned. You're going, how can I go back? Like, how could my father love me? How could he accept me? And so this, what's interesting is in this story, he comes up with the idea now to become a servant instead of a son. Just make me a slave. Right? He prepares his grand speech. You wonder how many times he rehearsed it. You forget that they're human, right? Like, you wonder how many times he rehearsed this thing. He's just like, father, father. Father, you know, like, was he like looking in the mirror? I don't even know if they had mirrors back then. They probably didn't. But but could you imagine him looking in the mirror and he's just like, I need to look more disheveled. (laughs) You know, how can I look more humble in the moment? But he just simply says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He says, make me like one of your hired servants. And I just couldn't help it as I read this story to think about the shame that he must have felt to realize what he had done. So I'm going to have somebody come out real quick to to help me illustrate this this morning. And as they're coming, you know, I can't help but think, and this is what the Lord really began to deal with me about for this message. And I said, Lord, what do you you want me to talk about, right? It's your church. It's your week. Uh, It's the day you rose from the dead. So what would you like? And the, the Lord told me, he said, Joel, he said, there are many who subconsciously identify with the son when they hear this story. Now, obviously, he's told us a story, right? Because there's also an older brother, if you continue to read, who stays there, and he's faithful, and he works, and he does what the father asks. But even when you read that story, the Lord told me, he says there are more who just simply identify with the, with the son who went off to do his own thing. And so for whatever reason in life, you can step up here with me, but for whatever reason in life through our decisions, I'm going to go ahead and you can, like, let's tell you with your coat and all the stuff, you can just set it up there for me. But for whatever reason in life, by the decisions that we make, we for whatever reason choose to walk out of being sons and daughters. And the coat that we have that signify we were in the family, and the, you know, the garments that he gave us that were that were nice, right? And, and and everything, which is for whatever reason, we just have these moments where we make decisions that lead us away from him. And and, and we just kind of set those things off to the side and 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 the ring that was on our finger signifying authority and you know, the, the nice things that he had for us, for some reason, we just seem to put those things off and we just, and we just go on and, and, and we just seem to go do our own thing. And, and the more that we go do our own thing, right, we end up in the shadows and, and, and there's those parts of our lives where all of a sudden now the garments that we have begin to be soiled and dirty and and, uh, and, and if y'all don't know anything, if you have ever done street ministry before, you recognize that when somebody is in that condition, they are filled with shame. More often than not, they'll never even look you in the eye because they're ashamed of what they've done. They're ashamed of where they've been and their heart is burdened by what's happening in their lives. And so for whatever reason, so often we choose to go our own way, living the way we want. And and what happens about sin is this is what the gospel talks about. We see it in the Garden of Eden is that when we commit sin, it drives us from the presence of the Father. And and we go off and we're separated from him. And what happens is, 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 is in these moments, like so many other times, what we learn is that what sin promised in pleasure has once again resulted in pain. What I thought would fulfill me instead has robbed me. What I thought was going to bring me joy has actually caused me to live without peace. Amen? Has anybody else have been there before? I'll be the first to raise my hand. I've been there. I understand what that feels like. And there's something about it that, that drives us away. What sin had promised, it, it just it didn't deliver. And so what happens is, is once we're outside of that, our confidence is Robbed. Right? And so now, like the son, we no longer feel worthy. You know, we can sit there and think, man, I went to church at one time of my life or, or I was faithful in one season, but man, I've just kind of drifted and I'm doing my own thing and I'm not really spending time seeking him or in the word or, or worshiping or things like that. And now the shame of that robs us and we no longer feel worthy, right? Because we don't feel like we belong. The son literally in the story is saying, listen, he goes, he's like, I don't even belong anymore. I told my father, you are dead to me. Give me my stuff. And even as the father gives it out and he allows him to go off and and to do these things, now his confidence is completely shaken. He doesn't feel like he belongs. And the feeling of rejection that he has is overwhelming. And, And so so often it's just like that for us, that the feeling we have of rejection can be so overwhelming that we just begin to prepare the grand speech. You know, God, if you'll just allow me to wash toilets in the house of God. I'm not even worthy to go to the front, Lord. I'm not worthy to serve. I, I, I'm not worthy that anybody should even like, know who I am or care that I'm there. God, I'm just sorry. I'm just so terrible. Anybody ever felt that way before? Can I get you to understand something? That is a tactic of the enemy. Because that's not how God sees you. Because the, the, the lie of the enemy comes up that, that you're not valued, valuable, that you don't deserve to be in the family. You know, like, yeah, i just come back. i just wash the toilets. And so in these moments, we can just sit there in the grip of, of guilt and shame. and we can, But here's the thing is we easily, when this happens, when we have the, the guilt and the shame, we miss the heart of God. Because if you look at this story, what's amazing is, is why all of these things are taking place. It's the father who is looking a great ways off to see where his son is. I don't, he didn't have binoculars, but I figured it was a good illustration. but the reality of it is is in this story what it's telling us is that while we were so far off while we were doing our own thing while we're laden with sin and feeling guilty and shameful wondering because again the heart of the person is going there's no way that god can accept me and all the while god is going where's my son where is he at And, and and you can imagine daily him going out and he's looking and he's looking and he's scanning the horizon. Is he out there? Where is he at? Is he out there? Is my boy coming home? And he's wondering in these moments: Is he dead? Is he in the gutter somewhere? Is he alive? Is he safe? Is he hurt? Yet all the while, he's the father's just looking and looking and looking. And see, often we miss the heart of God in this because because the son may be hanging his his head in shame. But that's not exactly what happens. If you read the story and you'll see that the son finally makes the decision to come home, do you notice in the scripture what it says about the father? What did he do? It says that he ran. He's scanning. He's looking. And all of a sudden he sees him. And he says, my son. And he runs over. Ooh, I need that. <laughs> he didn't wear a microphone pack, but I did. Okay. But he runs over. And here's the thing. Does he run over to his son and then punch him in the face? <laughs> not at all. He didn't like run over to his son and jump on his back and be like, and it come to squeeze. He didn't do any of that. No, it says that he ran over and he comes to his son and he grabs him and he embraces him. And it says that he falls on his neck. I'm not going to kiss you though. So anyway, it's my nephew, but we're still going to do that. Right? And so all of a sudden now and he grabs his son and he's coming home. But here's the thing is as he's coming home, imagine the joy that's in the father's heart. Because once he meets him, what does the son do? Father, I'm not, worried, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Listen, I, I've messed up. I've taken your stuff. Just make me like one of your hired servants. And what my favorite part about this story is, is the father does what? He ignores him. He's listening to a word he's saying. And the father walks up and he says, no. He said, take, the, uh, he said, take this different stuff off. Bring the best garments that we've got. Put the ring on his finger. And all the sin... All the wickedness, all the shame, the father comes and he says, son, that is not who you are. That is not where you belong. And he said he cast the thing away and he comes back and you can begin to put that on. And what I love is that as he comes back and he says, you know what? No, you may have felt like you were far off. You may have felt like you were worthless, but he turns around. And he tells the servants, he says, no, he says, go get the, the fatted calf and sacrifice that thing. We're having a party because my son is home. He was dead, but now he's alive. And I love this because as he, as he comes back, the scripture, if you read it, and this is one of the I love about the gospel, is it says that he gives us a gown of salvation. But then he gives us a robe of righteousness. And I love this because he says, bring the robe. <laughs> it wasn't something, listen, the son didn't earn it. There was nothing he could do, right? He had been off doing his own thing. And in filthiness and wickedness and sin, wild living. And yet the father says, bring the robe, put it on him. And what I love too is then he turns around and he says, he says, bring the ring. And if you think about this with rings, especially in that time, rings represent a delegated authority, right? And he says, not only am I going to put the robe back on you to signify that you're in my family, he says, but I'm going to give you the ring of authority, put it back on. Yeah. And I love this because again, this is what happens. Is listen, though we were far off, Listen, it doesn't matter what you were doing last week. It doesn't matter how far into sin you've gone. The blood of Jesus is enough. Yeah. Come on, somebody. When we sang it earlier, thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Listen, if we understand that from last week, but then the last couple of weeks in the messages, that when they applied the blood to the door, death and destruction had to pass over. Yeah. Come on, somebody. And so listen, just because there was guilt and shame in your life of where you've been, the Father's love is greater. Amen? Amen. I'm going to wake somebody up this morning. Amen. Come on, somebody. Listen, the love of God is greater than whatever we've been. Yeah. Listen, it, you could have been gone for 25 years, and today you've walked in the building ready to surrender, and the Father is running. Yeah. Listen, it doesn't matter how long it's been. What matters is the grace and the love of God. But what I know is that grace changes us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on, somebody. It's not just about receiving the gown of salvation. He wants to put on you the robe of righteousness. You see, the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin and of righteousness. Listen, what I mean by that is he's going to tell us, hey, that's not who we are. It's wrong. You need to change that. But he also comes to remind you, you're in the family. That's not how we act. That's not who we are. That's not the path we walk. That's not the way we talk to people. That's not the way that we love. Come on, somebody. And that's what I love is that he's going to guide and lead us into all truth. And by the way, it's his truth, not yours. Listen, there's no relative truth in the kingdom of God. He is the truth. His word is the truth. And we either abide by it or we reject it. But can I tell you something this morning? I would caution you against rejecting the truth of God's word. Because there will come a day when every person in this room will stand before him and give an account for their life. And he's not going to give a rip. Maybe that wasn't the best way to say that, but he's not going to care. (laughs) Listen, we can present in that moment the list of all the good things that we've done in our life, but our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. But if I learn to just simply be in the family, if I learn to just simply go back and do what he's asked to do, He'll clothe me with the gown of salvation and the robe of righteousness. He'll put the ring of authority back on my finger. He'll put the, I love it because he says, put the sandals back on his feet. And all of those painful moments as we walk out life on our own, God makes a way for us to be restored. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. You Give him a hand. So good. But here's the thing that that I realize in this story is that so often The picture of God that we just depicted for you is not the picture we have in our heart. For whatever reason, we have been taught that God is just up there angry and vengeful and in a rage because of all of us. Now, can I tell you something? Does God hate sin? Yes. But he's still looking for us. (laughs) Is he a holy and a righteous God? Yes but he's still pursuing us. Amen? And that's what I love about the power of the gospel is is Jesus going, listen, there is no cavern too far that I will not step into to redeem you. There's no sin that you could have committed. Listen, you have to understand something. And this may be a bad example as well, but oh well, it's my example. If Hitler gave his life to Christ before he died, guess where he is? He would be in heaven because he surrendered and his sin would be under the blood. It doesn't matter whether his life was just or unjust. You and I are not God, neither do we get to determine the extent of his grace and mercy. The reality of it is, is that the power of the blood of Jesus is is so strong that he can save to the uttermost. Listen, the person that right now in our city that's practicing witchcraft, the power of the blood of Jesus is enough for them. Amen? And listen, you would think that God hates them. And that's the picture so often we have, that God is just vengeful and opposed to everyone. And yet at the same time, he came to give his life a ransom for many. Amen? And he's drawing people to himself and so we have to get the right picture in our mind of who he is Because the reality of the father's heart is that it's overflowing with joy Because what was dead is now alive. What was lost has now been found And I firmly believe this morning that god the father is running to us And he's looking for the one who would say i'm going to come to my senses and return home It's not about what we can do to right all the wrongs in our life. He's just saying come home He's like, yes, you've been acting crazy. Come on. Why? Because his word is powerful enough to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Amen. The blood is enough when it's applied to your life to wash away all of your sin. Come on, somebody. I mean, mean, if you really stop and think about this, this ought to make you shout. Listen, he's enough for us. His grace is sufficient for us. And so we can have confidence that God desires for us to come home. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 8. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, made us alive together with Christ. It says, By grace you have been saved. He's raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. I mean, do you understand what this is saying here? That while you are in opposition to him, because of his rich mercy and his great love, when you are dead in your trespass, he has made you alive in Christ. And what I love about the finished work of Jesus is it has nothing to do with what you and I can accomplish. It has everything to do with what Jesus has accomplished. Amen? Amen. That's the grace of God extended. He gave Himself that we might be forgiven and set free. And what I love is that He looks with anticipation for our return. Luke 19, verse 10, says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so when we come to Him and we confess our sin, He forgives us, right? He cuts off the old dirty shirt. And he removes it from us. The scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sin. It's so easy to overlook that. It's so easy to lose sight of the fact that he is so good that he'll remove your sin in such a way that it'll never return. Because he's powerful enough to do it. Now, we have a responsibility to play in that, to be renewed in our minds so that we can live out the power of the gospel. But his grace is enough for us. Through the finished work of Jesus, he clothes us in a robe of righteousness. He puts the ring of authority on our hand. And I firmly believe this morning he is looking and longing for our return. He's longing to show us his greater love. He's calling out for lost sons and daughters to come home. And what I want to say to you this morning, there's room for you. There's room for you. No matter how far off you may feel, there is room for you. And the Father is simply saying, Come home. Come home. Come home. He says, I love you. Come home. Yeah, you may feel like you're in shame. Come home. You don't feel like you're worthy. Come home. He says, I can fix all those other things. Just come home. He sent his son to die in our place so that we can find life and restore relationship with Him. Thank you for listening to the Waymaker Podcast. To simply connect, or if this message ministered to you and you would like to support the ministry, you can simply go to waymakerchurch.org.